Good morning. This is Babs Rolls Ivy. And today on Love Babs Love Talk, I'm going to be talking to Heather McGee, the president of Demos. She's going to be here tomorrow to have a community conversation with Frank Mitchell uh, talking about Beyond Bigotry. So tune in for this wonderful discussion. I'm so excited to talk to her. We're in right now. Now, where, where am I bringing her? She's already up. Hey, Heather. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I know you've been running, girl, talking to everybody about all the work that you do. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a busy time for sure. I'm actually calling you from the studios of C-SPAN where I just taped um, <laughs> Washington Journal. I, well, you're, you're coming to New Haven tomorrow. Yeah. And you're going to be having this conversation about bigotry. Uh, beyond, right. and beyond before bigotry. Before I get to New Haven, I'm going to Hartford. Oh Lord! In Hartford in the morning. <laughs> are you are you like the James Brown of? Uh... <laughs> you are. That's right, <laughs> girl. You are working. All right. So I I've been um I've been paying some attention to you and reading some of the work that you do and paying attention to the organization that you are running. You know, Heather, this is a tricky sort of thing, particularly now. How do we have these race conversations where we include conversations around equity? and health disparity, and uh, mass incarceration, and, I mean, how should we be having these conversations? Well, I think, um, first of all, it's good to try to have them outside of the politically charged arena. Mm. Um, you know, and one of the things that we're, we're really losing right now is that we, you know, we don't have those places, whether they're you know, whether it's the double digits decline in um, people going to church services and things, or it's the fact that people don't have civic organizations anymore and unions and, you know, things, frankly, like the the library and the uh, Connecticut Humanities uh, project. You know, you need to find places where you're not, you know, shouting at a TV to have these kinds of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> do you see any value in social media? Do you see any value in having these conversations on these social media platforms where we are having these conversations already? Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways, um, social media can be good. You know, the the conversation that I had with Gary um, uh, really went viral on social media, and I think uh, that is a good sign that people actually wanted to see a conversation where a black person and a white person were having uh, an empathetic connection um, about racism and prejudice, and so some of some there's some part of us that wants to see good news in our social media feed, but you know the dominant tone and mood on our social media feed is is outrage, um, and people are being stoked to go into their corners. Now, what do you what do you what do you make of this outrage? Like, is it? Is it well-founded outrage, or is it misguided, misconceived outrage? Like, do people have real reason to be outraged? Well, um, so that's a complex question. I mean, I think that um, there is a lot of demonization of people of color that happens in uh, particularly kind of right-wing media, right-wing blogs, you know, frankly, right-wing cable news um, that makes viewers very uh, worried and fearful and disdainful of immigrants, of uh, Muslim people and families, 
of black people in inner cities, um, and that is such a narrow and distorted lens on our fellow Americans and on our fellow human beings. Um, and you get a lot of um, political opinions that flow from that view that they're just, you know, people of color are sort of at best lazy and mm-hmm. at worst criminal. And therefore you have um, lots of voters then who are white and who are hearing that kind of messaging every day uh, saying, well, I don't want to share my tax dollars with people like that. And I don't want public health care because it's going to be taking money from me and giving money to undeserving people. And that is so far from uh, the truth of the way we live um, and and who we all are and how we all actually contribute in this society. And frankly, we're all benefiting um, from from public goods and resources. So um, that's that's the kind of faux outrage that is frankly ginned up by very powerful people with a political agenda um, that ultimately ends up serving their 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 pocketbooks. Um, you can see that in the healthcare debate right now, where you've got um, you know this desire to repeal Obamacare because it was uh, reparations for Black people, which is kind <laughs> of a, you know it's a, it's a crazy myth, but that's how it was framed uh, on Fox News for years. And so now um, you've got, you know, something hidden in the heart of this new um, health care bill, which is a massive tax cut for the wealthy and um, and hurting um, and definite provisions that are going to be hurting uh, tens of millions of working and middle class Americans. But it's all, um, you know, that that desire to repeal it was really racially infused in many ways. The rhetoric around it, the the idea that it became sort of this larger-than-life uh, symbolism of, of government overreach by a black president um, at a time of changing, you know, demographics in the country, you can't ignore how much that was part of the explicit story uh, that was being told, particularly to Republican voters uh, through their media channel. So, Heather, when we talk about when we t- when we talk when we have these conversations, who is responsible? Who can we hold responsible for telling the truth about these things? Like we have Fox News on one hand, and then we have I don't know MSNBC, which would be perhaps completely on the other end of the spectrum. So, how do people? How do we get people to sort of? work toward truth and do due diligence around getting information that doesn't just feed into what they believe, but helps them rise above or get around some long-held prejudices? I think there needs to be a movement in this country of the people who finance our big corporate media to, you know, have a standard of uh, decency and, um, uh, and recognize that, you know, you can have political opinions, but um, there is a certain demonization of uh, our fellow Americans, a certain looseness with the truth um, that is not, you know, equally done, um, that ultimately is being underwritten by you know, Tide and Procter and & Gamble and, you know, Kleenex and all of the uh, companies that are advertising on these networks. I mean, that's how you saw there start to be some accountability for um, what was going on at Fox News from the very top with Roger Ailes into their most uh, popular and profitable host, Bill O'Reilly, um, with the sexual harassment being rampant and discrimination. And so you started to see... Um, 
you know, the corporate sponsors whose money was being used to pay settlements uh, against the for the um, for the people who were, you know, bringing allegations of, of sexual discrimination. Many, 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 many people over a long period of time, and they finally said, you know what, that's that's a line that's been crossed. Enough is enough. We're going to pull our support. And then Fox had to let Bill O'Reilly go. Mm-hmm. Roger Ailes had to step down last summer. And so, um, I do think that there is um, that the news media is very um, has a big. Uh, you know, kind of reckoning that needs to happen about how coarse our political culture has become, how little social trust there is, how much demonization specifically of people of color and immigrants that is leading directly to hate crimes, to a rise in white supremacist, white nationalist uh, behavior and groups. Um, this is not uh, this is not a game anymore, and um, lives are being shaped by. Uh, the narratives and beliefs that are being, uh, you know, promoted in our news media. And um, it's time, ultimately, for the people who have the, you know, the greatest say and sway, which is the, uh, you know, the businesses that advertise on these uh, networks, to to say that there needs to be some uh, accountability, some standards of decency, um, and some standards of truth-telling. So so what are you charged with doing with your organization because I, you come to this work to address these very sort of things, right? Yeah, as, as, thank, you. So, thank you for that. <laughs> so talk about what you're charged with doing and how you imagine, because you, you must be quite hopeful to sort of want to jump into this work <laughs> and talk about, you know, leveling, you know, getting people to a place of thinking about, um, the inequities and getting people to sort of be in the room and be nice and have real conversations, meaningful conversations. So what are you charged with doing? So I'm the president of an organization called Demos, and Demos is the Greek word for the people of a nation, and it's the root word of democracy. And at Demos, our mission is to work for an America where we all have an equal say in our democracy and an equal chance in our economy. And we go about pursuing that mission uh, with research, with advocacy, with litigation around issues like expanding the freedom to vote, uh, restoring the pathways to the middle class, um, and uh, reducing the role of uh, corporate money and, um, and wealthy influence in our politics. And over the past uh, few years, Demos has been at the forefront of some big reforms to help uh, really address the record inequality that we have in our society, whether it's um, winning uh, campaign finance reforms at the state and local level, like the one that Connecticut actually has, the, the small the public financing mm-hmm. um, system that allows middle-class people to run for office and middle-class people to, to frankly matter to the folks who run for office, <laughs> um, working middle-class folks. Um, and we've, we've helped win that in places like Seattle and, and run campaigns across the country. And then we've also done some work to help really address uh, the inequality in our economy by raising uh, attention to the racial wealth gap, the, uh, the fact that because of explicitly racist policies over the generations in which most white families uh, were able to accrue wealth, primarily through home ownership, um, there were explicitly racist laws uh, uh, making it impossible for black families 
uh, to get to, for example, to access the GI Bill, uh, to access uh, neighborhoods where they were uh, segregated out of, and then up into the 1980s to access mortgages um, that were backed by FHA loans. So all of that, those wealth building uh, mechanisms that the government pursued to make the, the great middle class that was mostly a, a white middle class were explicitly excluding African-American families. And that's how today you have um, a situation where you can have the same education and income with a black family and a white family, but that cushion of wealth, of savings, um, that is so important to, to intergenerational success um, is just a massive yawning uh, uh, divide. And so we... Um, I am, Babs, I appreciate you, you asking. I, I am an optimistic person. I do think that um, our country's best days are still ahead of us. I think that the, the promise and the values as stated in America's founding documents are ones that we are continuing to get closer to with every generation. I think that um, the youngest generation, which is the largest and most diverse generation in American history, um, is already showing that they're willing to, to fight for each other's rights and to, um, to embrace uh, a new kind of politics um, and to, you know, make new levels and forms of community at a time when, you know, our society is very fractured. Um, and then I'm hopeful because of people like Gary. Gary Civitello uh, from North Carolina, who called into a C-SPAN show in August and admitted that he was a, as a white man and that he's prejudiced. And he asked for my help on national television. And I answered him. I said, thank you. And I said, um, you know, I gave him some thoughts off the top of my head <laughs> of what he could do to help sort of integrate mm -hmm. his life. Mm -hmm. And our kind of three-minute exchange went viral, um, had over 8 million views. Oh, yeah, it and did. <laughs> Since then, I've gotten to know Gary. We've met face-to-face um, -face a number of times, um, and he has taken my recommendations and, and really run with them and is himself really um, leading in his own life a kind of transformation to where he is really interrogating the exact media stereotypes that I was talking about at the top of our conversation, mm -hmm. um, which poisoned his mind against uh, people of color and immigrants, and that he thinks are at the heart of, of what is compelling, what compelled people like his friends in North Carolina to vote for Donald Trump, because they're so um, poisoned by the, the media stereotypes um, and the rhetoric, uh, not only of the Trump campaign, but of so much news. So, so Heather, when you decide, when you make your plan for the organization for the year, how do you allocate your resources and time and commitment? Like, do you say, all right, we're going to put some energy into Detroit, or we're going to put some energy into Charlotte, North Carolina, or we're going to go to Seattle? Like, how do you sort of figure out where to best carry out your agenda and execute an agenda that you could be successful? How do you decide that? That's a great question, Bob. So we um, we are a national organization that um, uh, overall is guided by our our aims, our our goals to win public policies that um, would help address inequality in our economy and our democracy, and to help shift the national conversation to embrace more values of community and racial equity. And so every year there are different um, openings that we can walk through in order to advance those aims because there's um, the possibility of a bill in a state legislature or a ballot initiative at the city level 
or there is a conversation that we can have in the media, um, reports and research that we can put out to help drive uh, news coverage, to help reveal um, some of the causes of inequity, or to help further, um, you know, a values-based conversation about community and racial equity. So, you know, I'll uh, very frankly, at this moment in time, when there are not so many progressive legislatures uh, in the country at the state level. Um, uh, you know, I, since the president, President Obama was elected, Democrats lost nearly a thousand seats in state legislatures, and and the Republican Party is has very very cha- very much changed um, over that same period of time to where um, you used to be able to get bipartisan support for reforms that. Um, we, you know, we advanced to address inequality and to, um, you know, shore up the middle class, um, and that's no longer really so much the case. So we have fewer opportunities right now for uh, doing, uh, you know, policymaking and lobbying at the state level and testifying, um, and obviously very few in Congress. But at the same time, um, there is an opportunity because the movement for change um, which really involves ordinary people stepping up and speaking out and getting educated and, and contacting their elected officials has really never been stronger, certainly in my lifetime and in the lifetime of everyone that works at Demos. And so we are really encouraged um, by a moment of, of sort of big democracy out in the streets, big democracy in homes and in church basements, like where it was on Saturday night here in, in New York, uh, giving a talk to you know, nearly 200 uh, women as part of a women's alliance of the Unitarian Church who were, um, you know, wanted to know what they could do to help advance uh, uh, the values of democracy and justice in our society. And I'll be doing something similar uh, this Friday. Uh, is that tomorrow? I believe yeah. that's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow <laughs> in New Haven at the Free Public Library. Um, uh, sorry, at the New, New Haven Museum. Uh, mm-hmm. It's being hosted in partnership with the Public Library and Communities uh, in Connecticut Humanities, um, and it is in the afternoon um, at the at the um, at the museum. Um, it's a conversation uh, with the director um, uh, of the Amistad of the Amistad Center Cultural Art Center. Center. Yeah. yeah, that's Frank exactly. Frank Mitchell, who is a friend of mine. So. We served on a oh, board. Right. We, we served on a board to get. We served on a common ground high school board, which is a farm in the, in the middle of an urban environment. But he's mm-hmm. good people, so that should be a rich conversation. So, Heather, when people call you, what do they want you to do? Like when they say, "Hey, Heather, I know what you do, but can you just come?" Like, do they? Are you getting those kinds of calls where people call you up and say, "Could you just come and do what you do, or say what you need to say to this body?" How does that work? Um, that's a good question, Bob. So, um, you know, for example, I got an email inviting me to come to New Haven, where I, I spent uh, uh, four years as an undergraduate at Yale from 97 to 2001. Um, bula so bula. Predisposed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm often predisposed to say yes when New Haven calls. I truly did um, love the city beyond beyond Yale when I was there. Um uh, and the Amistad Center is, is a phenomenal institution. Um, and so uh, I got an email saying, you know, we want to have a community conversation um, about race and racism today. Uh, the title of the conversation is Beyond Biggest Tree, uh, a conversation with Heather McGee. 
Uh, it's with me and Frank Mitchell. Um, it'll be really a back and forth. And, you know, they just want uh, to provide a place for community members local to New Haven to um, come and get a, you know, an, an elevated conversation that's outside of the daily kind of um, sound bites and punditry about the health of our community and the health of our democracy and the health of a multiracial democracy. And I know that um, there's been an ongoing conversation uh, in New Haven at, at the Amistad Center um, about, you know, the local issues around um, diversity and, and the um, interaction of different races in the community in New Haven and, and in Connecticut. So I'm really happy to um, be there to listen to what uh, Mr. Mitchell has to say, to hear the questions from the audience, which is always uh, my favorite part, and just to share some of the research that Demos has done. I'll be bringing some of our materials and 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 uh, reports that we've written, and just get to know folks and uh, and have a conversation because it really does start. Um, with getting out of our silos, away from our computers, and, and talking to each other. I think you're right, because, you know, um, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta here, and the New Haven Alumni Chapter has started this whole host of, um, whole series of hosting these community conversations that I think we started in January. And, um, and they have been quite interesting. And it was that thinking to um, not so much... Um, you know, tell people what to do, but, uh, but give, uh, yes, tell people what to give people solutions or offer advices as to what to do, but really bring people to, together so they can hear um, different people talk about different areas that might be of concern to them. Anything from immigration. Um, I think the last, the next one is the last one, which will be, I think on um, women's health, but we've talked about education. We've talked about immigration. Uh, we've talked about the uh, the election, and I'm starting to see a lot of folks are having these conversations around community. So I think I'm I'm quite heartened by that. But Heather, talk a little bit about um, this this season, and you kind of touched on it a little bit talking about the difference between what was going on in the Obama era and this new era. I I can't imagine that you are met with um, open arms um, in this particular era of Trump and this and the House and the Senate and the White House being all this newfangled Republican. I, I, I don't remember Republicans being this full of vitriol, but this is an interesting sort of time. So how are you met in this in this climate? You know, it's um it is a tough time. Um, it's a time where um, uh, not only has the partisan divide um, really grown, but the uh, on the issue of race, um, you know, before there have been studies that show that before uh, the Obama era, there wasn't a major uh, gap between Democrats and Republicans on racial justice questions and on racial attitudes. Um, there wasn't the same correlation, the idea that if you had very negative attitudes uh, towards racial minorities, uh, that you would be a Republican. And because not only of you know the fact of a black family in the White House, but also because of what um, then happened to the, the discourse from um, the you know, right-wing commentators um, during the Obama era, where the sort of easiest way to uh, inflame uh, passions against uh, 
Obama and the Democrats was to do it in sort of, um, you know, stark terms, uh, suggesting, uh, as you may recall, that um, as, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name. That's a good thing. Um, uh, Glenn right. Beck, as Glenn oh. Beck did, that, you know, Obama's a very racist person who really doesn't like white people, you know, like his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, that kind, <laughs> of, um, that kind of vitriol ended up being really helpful for, um, you know, creating good ratings, for, you know, making a, a stark, you know, us-against-them divide. And so you started to see um, there be a much stronger correlation between negative attitudes towards among white voters of towards people of color and you know how partisan they felt and of course that left a lot of um republicans who were more moderate you know without a home um and i think that is uh one of the under kind of told stories now is is how many people who um you know have been republican all their lives you know don't feel like they have a home uh in the republican party and, and in either party right now and so um Yes. I mean, for example, when Demos was working on the issue of credit card rules, um, because we found that uh, working in middle-class families were using credit cards to borrow to make ends meet, and we wanted to um, make sure that, you know, because most families really didn't have a choice about whether to go into debt, at least temporarily, that they wouldn't be um, caught and trapped in a spiral of debt forever just because, you know, their carburetor broke or they had an unexpected medical bill. So we, um, you know, we ended up uh, crafting what became a bipartisan uh, law in Congress to restore good rules on the credit card companies in 2009 um, that has saved borrowers $50 billion in fees alone uh, since then. And, of course, the credit card companies are still standing. And in the end, uh, even though they weren't there in the beginning, but in the end, a number of Republicans uh, uh, voted for that bill. Um, we have not seen as much um, openness from uh, across the aisle um, for common sense things like restoring funding for public colleges so that it could be debt free. Even though, if you think about, you know, when I when I go to Congress and and you have the Education Committee there, you know, everyone on the committee is you know is over 50 years old and they themselves went to college when taxpayers. Uh, paid for the cost of instruction uh, at public colleges, and they got to graduate without debt. Um, but there's this unwillingness to provide that kind of public investment for today's youngest generation, who are the most diverse generation in American history. And and I think we really all need to to recognize that our country is um, is a very diverse country, and that um, you know these sort of ingrained beliefs about the um, character and inferiority of people of color that, um, you know, we all don't want to admit that that we have, but are so pervasive in the stereotypes in our um, media are actually affecting things like, you know, the cost of college, are Mm -hmm. affecting uh, the public will to support public things when the public is more diverse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you get here, Heather? What's your story? How did you get here? <laughs> so I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and um, uh, in the 1980s when, when uh, many of the, the steel jobs that had brought families like my family um, uh, in previous generations up from the south to big cities in the industrial Midwest um, were starting to leave the inner cities. And it's so interesting because you're seeing that same 
path happening now out um, in the more rural areas in the Midwest, and uh, um, uh, and you're seeing very similar things happen um, with the loss of good manufacturing jobs, and then the um, you know what comes in to replace it being uh, you know the sort of diseases of despair, the the drugs and the um, alcoholism and the suicides and um, and so that's kind of what was happening when I was growing up in the 1980s in Chicago. Um, so I, I kind of early on had a sense of um, that economic injustice was was uh, was real, um, and that the dominant story about what was happening to the economy was not what was you know bearing itself out in in, in my community. Um, I always cared a lot about public policy and social justice. Uh, when I went to um, Yale for undergraduate, I was very fortunate to go to that school and, and study American studies, which is um, cultural studies about American politics and society and economics. Um, that really, though, tries to get at kind of deeper questions of, of American storytelling and, and how we communicate with each other and how we, um, you know, uh, how we create the story. Uh, of who we are as Americans and what we owe to one another. Um, and uh, I actually ended up starting to work at my organization, Demos, which was actually founded by um, Miles Rappaport, uh, mm-hmm. who's a, a, a pretty well-known uh, Connecticut citizen. He was the mm-hmm. Secretary of State of Connecticut. Um, he was a Connecticut state legislator and he ran for Congress. He also ran a number of community-based organizations in the state of Connecticut, uh, lives in West Hartford to this day. Um, and he was the founder of Demos, uh, or the, the founding president. Um, and I started working there when I was just 22 years old. And then um, wow. I started working there on economic issues. I was an entry-level economic person, um, policy analyst, and I, I worked my way up. I left for law school, um, but I came back because I really do believe in the mission of the organization, um, and that in many ways we've been a, a ahead of our time in our focus on inequality and um, really able to, to get things done for working and middle-class families and to provide um, a focus on solutions at a time when um, when it feels like there are just problems all around. So tell me, what do you find most troubling at the moment? Like what what keeps you up at night, Heather? Like what's that mm-hmm. thing out there that's like, mm. If we could just get our hands around, our arms around this thing, or if we could spend some time on this thing. Oh, gosh, the list is so long <laughs> for that. Um, that is a really good question. What, what's um, up at the top? I mean, you know, one of the things that is sort of an under um, underlying um, problem in our society is uh, the in balance of voice in our democracy. Um, And having worked, uh, you know, very close to the halls of power and seen how decisions get made about who runs, uh, what issues they talk about when they're running for office, um, whose phone calls get answered once people are in office, uh, and, um, you know, and how people vote. Um, I have seen up close how much the, the, um, donations uh, and campaign contributions um, by uh, corporations and wealthy people really do distort 
our democracy. Um, they make it harder for people who are just, you know, if you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you want to run for office and serve your community, you know, good luck unless you know millionaires who can write uh, big checks. And then once you're in office, um, things like, um, you know, regulating certain industries or, um, you know, restoring our the revenue that is collected um, to fund our urgent needs um, by closing loopholes and, you know, equalizing the, the tax uh, on wealth and work. These things are just the political cost is just too high for Democrats and Republicans often to actually take that final important vote. And so, you know, if I think about the kinds of big structural problems that we face that make it harder for working families to get ahead, that make it harder for us to um, address the existential threat of global climate change. I think about the way money flows in our politics, and I think about examples like Connecticut where, you know, it's not perfect, but the public financing system allows um, legislators in, you know, in the state house to uh, really spend more time with their constituents, to spend less time fundraising, and to be less intimidated by lobbyists with big checks mm-hmm. uh, who basically threaten them if they if they vote the wrong way. And I don't think we do enough talking about that. I mean, I think we I think we superficially talk about it. And it's almost, you know, lightheartedly. I don't think we mm-hmm. talk about how pervasive and how intimidating these lobbyists are um, with these checks and resources that they come with. So I think that's you're right. right. And I think part of the reason is that it feels like it's just sort of the, the way of the world and, and that you can't change it. But you can. Um, and um, in fact, you know, um, there's still a possibility for reform. We could have Congress have uh, the kinds of public financing that Connecticut has. And I mean, if there were one thing that would change immediately, the tone and tenor, the partisanship, the um, you know, the amount of time that members of Congress spend fundraising, uh, one out of every three minutes they spend dialing for dollars with rich people and corporate lobbyists. I mean, no wonder uh, very little can get done. Uh, no wonder there are these big public problems from climate change to child care that Congress is not paying attention to. Um, and so if we just had some real champions uh, for reform, you know, it's one of the, the big regrets that I have. Um, from the Obama administration, that that we didn't do uh, more um, in the years that we had a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress to change the fundamental rules of the game to make everything else easier. Hmm. So I want to get you to talk. Do you pay attention to what's going on? I'm sure you do. Uh, what's going on in the rest of the world? I mean, we've just had this whole Brexit experience right or we or they're going through their brexit experience and and now here comes paris which is my favorite city in the world um second to new orleans but uh, (laughs) has just decided not to have a trump like candidate be their president so how much of the world view do you take in and does it color or shed light on or illuminate what we do over here absolutely we live in a very globalized society and some of the trends um, that we have seen that have shaped our economy and our society um, like the globalization of capital um, the global uh, dodging of taxes that have brought 
um, countries uh, into, you know, having to make really hard choices between their retirees and their students and their public services and investing in roads and bridges. Um, uh, the fallout of the global financial crisis that was started uh, here in on Wall Street but uh, affected um, countries across the globe. We absolutely have an interconnected economy. And unfortunately, um, what we're seeing is that at a time of rising inequality and insecurity across the developed world, um, because of really actually preventable, um, uh, you know, um, trends in the way that um, companies treat their workers, the way that companies chase the, the lowest common denominator, and the ways that they avoid taxation on a global level. Um, we are seeing a bunch of scapegoating of our most vulnerable people on the planet, uh, refugees, immigrants who come uh, to more developed countries looking for a better life. And it's that um, scapegoating that we see here in the United States that we've seen um, in countries uh, from Turkey to Hungary uh, to Greece to the UK to France to the Netherlands to Sweden to Australia to Austria. I mean, I'm naming places where there is an ascendant um, right-wing anti-immigrant, uh, you know, openly racist party that has, um, you know, won more and more seats and more and more votes. Really, since the financial crash, and it is a, it is, it's alarming and it's upsetting that because of economic insecurity that really can. Uh, mostly be put at the foot of the most powerful people in the world. You have, um, you know, uh, voters in the in the middle of uh, countries across the developed world um, voting against uh, the protection of the least powerful people. Um, and we all face a choice of whom we're going to hold accountable um, for the changes in our economy. Is it really going to be the, you know, aspiring citizens um, who come here searching for, you know, a shot at the American dream, or is it going to be uh, the people who have more wealth than uh, any society has ever seen, um, and in whose power it is to um, help shape our politics and help shape corporate, corporate behavior in a way that gives more rewards to everyday work as much as there are uh, rewards to accumulated wealth. Wow. So, Africa, any thoughts? And I know Africa is not a state, it's a whole country. <laughs> it's a whole continent. Um, it's a whole continent, right? It's a whole continent, that's right. Um, so there, there's so many, I mean, um, there's so many uh, positive stories um, coming out of um, various societies within Africa that um, don't get enough airing. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity to be there myself. I was in Tanzania in December, actually on my, my honeymoon, but I spent... Oh, congratulations. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I, spent, uh, I spent a few weeks there. I got to um, stay in a village, uh, in a pretty remote mountain village with a family that was um, uh, just the most uh, generous and kind and engaged uh, family. I was complete strangers to them, um, but they were part of a, a farming collective that um, a friend of mine had helped set up. And so, you know, he sort of called, sent word to them and said that their good friends were going to be in town. And so 
uh, we rode up to the top of this mountain village and um, just were just completely embraced. By, now, was that your first um, trip? Was that your first it trip? It was my first trip to Tanzania. I'd gone to South Africa a number of years ago. But it was just a very interesting um, experience to be completely embraced um, in a culture where uh, guests are good luck, oh. where being hospitable to people who come uh, to your to your village um, you know, is, is a good thing. And I thought about, um, even at the heart, uh, height of the Ebola crisis, um, places like Mali, where, you know, people coming from different villages and from different countries could have been carrying death with them. Um, that spirit of, of being welcoming still, you know, did not, did not die. And I feel like um, we need a little bit more of that right now in the United States. We you know, the crisis in the Middle East and the refugee crisis that is the worst that there's been since World War II is in many ways owed to our intervention in the Middle East uh, in the Iraq war. And yet we are not taking enough responsibility to say that people who have lost everything, who can no longer live in their homes um, because of uh, of conflict um, should, should be, you know, uh, obviously should be vetted as they are, but should be given... Uh, a chance to restart their lives here in the United States, as so many of our ancestors restarted their lives here in the United States. Yes, Yale just had um, the Afro Am Center um, just hosted the Africa Salon here, and uh, and it was such a rich weekend of folks uh, representing various countries of Africa. And I realized I know so little about Africa. I mean, beyond just what I know superficially, but. Um, so it was all about the contemporary artists and the music, the culture, the food, everything. Um, and it was quite stunning to sort of um, hear Africans um, from various countries talk about racism, economic development, um, education, um, women's rights, all that kind of stuff. And it's not so far from where we are at the moment. You know, their issues are seem to mirror some of our issues, um, um, except um, a lot of political distress in areas. But for the most part, I mean, it was it really was interesting to sort of hear them talk about um, um, their their, their themselves in relationship to the West. So I was struck, struck by that, Mm. struck by that. So so now you're coming tomorrow. You're busy. You're on TV. You're everywhere. How does Heather take care of Heather? <laughs> How do you yeah, replenish? Thank you for that question. <laughs> um, well, I just got married to uh, to someone who's been my best friend for 20 years. So, oh, my um, gosh. It's, it, it, it's no longer just my job to take care of myself, which is really wonderful. Um, um, I... Um, Let's see. I love to cook. I love to um, to host dinner parties. Um, now that the weather is thawing, we're going to have a, a monthly potluck in our backyard every um, once a month. Oh, um, I'm so coming. I really... <laughs> <laughs> all viewers, all listeners uh, to the show are welcome. <laughs> we're all going to Heather's for the potluck. <laughs> Bring something good. Bring, Bring something, something good. good. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I find um, I take care of myself by, um, you know, being around loved ones. That's that's the biggest thing. 
That's good. That's good. Because you've got a lot of work ahead of you and you're doing really good work. I would say you're doing God's work and um, and you're well received. You. And, and people say good things about you. When I posted your coming, people on my timeline, my Facebook timeline, were like, oh, my God, I just saw her. Oh, she's great. Oh, we love her. Are you going to talk to her? I was like, yes, yes. Well, I'm that's to so her. nice. That's great. Well, yeah. You know well, what? We, we we'll have be, to support we'll each be. other. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll be at the New Haven Museum uh, on Whitney Avenue, 114 Whitney Avenue at 4 o'clock. And yes. I think that... Um, I think that anybody can come. Yes, they're so, asking uh, people to register so that you know they get a sense of how many people are going to come. But if you don't register, they're not going to turn you away. So, yeah. so good. So it'll be good, and it's getting good, getting good press, and so it'll be a good, it'll be a good discussion. And and when's the last time you've been here? Uh, I was in New Haven um, uh, just a few months ago. Um, just stopped by for for some food. I had some mamoon falafel, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know. And sometimes when I'm I'm driving up to Massachusetts, my my husband's um, family lives in Massachusetts. We'll stop in New Haven. I have a dear friend who uh, is a doctor at Yale New Haven, who uh, I went to high school with, and she'll be there tomorrow afternoon. Sometimes we stop and get some Pepe's pizza. I was going to ask you the pizza and... question, but you've answered yeah. it. <laughs> As you know, New Haven is very particular about people take I their know. sides about this pizza thing. So no matter what's going on in the world, we have to like choose our pizza side. So, you know, <laughs> and what's your favorite? Beth? Well, you know what? I have a severe dairy allergy. So there's oh, this, no. I know, but there's this new restaurant called the Legna's on State Street and they make um, vegan cheese pizza. And they make vegan cheese pizza that I swear to anybody, it rivals Pepe's, Modern, and anybody else they want to throw in there. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Those are fighting words. That they are. And I put it out there, too. I was like, all right, <laughs> come on and fight me. Let's put our pizzas down and see who's got a good pizza. So, so yeah. Well, I grew up in Chicago, and I, and I must say that um, – not to be disloyal, but I, I'll just leave it at this. I do love New Haven pizza. I love Chicago pizza, but, you know. Well, you know, Chicago pizza is uh, like a casserole, right? Like it's deep dish. <laughs> you like that thin crust, right? I know. I know. It wins you every time. I know. So it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Heather. You too, Babs. Thank you so much for having me on, and um, and I hope your viewers will come to the museum tomorrow at 4, and we can meet each other. Yes, that would be wonderful. I'm not going to be there because I'm going to uh, a gala, Love 146, which is um, this organization that um, works with children who are trafficked traffic around, oh. around the globe, is having their gala at Grace Farms tomorrow night. And I was a kid that was trafficked, so... It's, uh, you know, this is near and dear to my heart, so I'm going to go and celebrate with them and hear these oh, stories. So. so I'm going to miss you, but I'm glad I got to talk to you today. So it's like my own little conversation with you, <laughs> even though people are listening, but I still feel like it's just you and me. So so I feel, you know, that's a wonderful thing to talk to you today. So great. Well, thank you right. so thank much, you so Heather. Much. Thank you. And my good pleasure. luck. Thank you. And Godspeed. And have a good talk tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Beth. All righty. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, it was so nice talking to Heather. (laughs) Oh, you want me to put this down?
I'm so sorry. I didn't. <laughs> you know what? Because it takes so many. It takes a lot of effort to sort of handle like one, two, three screens. So Harry's like, you have to say goodbye. <laughs> and the jazz music is nice. So we're not even gonna go out on lovely day. We're just gonna go out. I'm a jazz head, so this is great. So anyway, I'm on my way out. Thank you for listening. That was wonderful talking to Heather McGee, the president of Demos. And she will be at the uh, New Haven Museum tomorrow from 4 to 6 with Frank Mitchell. And they're going to be having a conversation called Beyond Bigotry. So if you are in ear range, go tomorrow and enjoy this this rich conversation um, that's going to be had. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Harry. Bye, y'all. Because my show is women for the glee. I'm on the road. I'm on the road.